2 Timothy 1, verse number 7. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We ask Heavenly Father that the precepts laid before us in this verse and others might uh, be found in our hearts, and that we might be able to say, I know that I'm a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Speak to our hearts. Strengthen us, we pray, in our Savior's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's been a long time. Uh, half a century ago, when I first arrived at, at Bible school, I entered its doors as an impressionable teenager. Three years later when I graduated, I was not quite so pliable, malleable. I had a tiny bit of education, three years of education. I was married by that time. I could almost grow a mustache. I was, I was pretty mature. When I left Bible college out to conquer the world for Christ, I was no longer that impressionable young man. I had become somewhat more opinionated. Can I put it that way? I had become, to a certain degree, a know-it-all. I was armed with a nice crisp certificate telling the world that I had apprehended that for which I had been apprehended by the Lord and called into the ministry. Boy, I was somebody. But in reality, I was a childish, semi-educated fool. I was a fool for Christ. I was also foolish in other ways, in the things of the world, shall we say. Over the last few weeks, I have shared with several people, and I have heard my own words echoed back to me that there are doctrines and opinions about which I used to be dogmatic, but now in my dotage, I'm not as authoritative as I used to be. I haven't cast them aside. Most of those things I still believe to be true, but I found that my former proof texts were not as, uh, or are not as bulletproof and foolproof as I thought they were originally. I hope that I haven't just gotten soft. I hope that I am simply more gracious toward others that uh, uh, 
don't necessarily agree with me. We'll see. With those conversations in mind, I was reading recently a sermon from Romans chapter 8, where the preacher pointed to verse number 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. The preacher pointed to the words, and we know, saying there are things, there are a lot of things that we don't know for sure. But there are some things we should be absolutely, positively sure about. That led me to surveying my Bible, looking for the words, we know, and I know. And I was thinking I would find a bunch of these words, and they would take us to all kinds of doctrines. Boy, I was in for an education. I discovered several things, including that there is a difference between we know and I know. For example, there's much more punch much more importance in the words we know when we find them in the word of God. We know. I found that I know is more common in the Bible. 56 times in the New Testament, 135 times in the entire Bible. We know is used 40 times in the New Testament and only 48 times, another eight times in the Old Testament. I found it interesting also that almost a quarter of the time we find we know in the New Testament, it comes from the Apostle John, almost all of them in 1 John. In their entirety, all those verses put those words, I know and we know, into a variety of contexts, most of which have nothing to do with the message tonight. For example, the unbelieving Jews said of Jesus, We know whence this man is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Their knowledge, we know, was faulty. They didn't know. They just thought they knew. They were not speaking under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Those words were inspired by the Holy Spirit to be put in the Word of God, but those words didn't come from the Holy Spirit when they spoke them. Uh, and to Jesus' face, they said, We know thou hast a devil. <laughs> Which, of course, was not true. Something else that I learned was that most of the we know statements in the Bible refer to salvation, not to other doctrines. Most of them. Just a couple of exceptions. Have you preached a message like this before? You're shaking your head and nodding and whatnot. I was thinking maybe I... Uh, I worked on this all by myself, but I was just wondering. There may be a lot of spiritual and eternal things of which we cannot be sure, but salvation is not one of them. Of this, we can be sure. Of this, we need to be sure. So my study at that point got a little disappointing but because it wasn't going on into other things. But I decided I'd push on in this direction anyway. Admittedly, I am cherry-picking references for you this evening, but I would like to point you to things about which we should have no doubt whatsoever. 
We know these things to be sure. We should know them because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostles gave them to us and said, we know, you should know. Not only should we know them, but knowing them, we should live in the light of these things that we know. When I began my preparation for this lesson, I didn't intend to be a gospel message, but the Lord did. So you get an extra dose. I would have preferred to conclude the lesson with 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. But it really is the natural place to start. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, utterly and completely persuaded, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This is the only scripture that I'll share with you this evening that begins singularly. Paul said, I know these things. All the rest of them that I'll give to you are we know. Under the circumstances, what he knew about his salvation, all of God's children should know about their salvation. How unspeakably sad it is that so many professing believers are not sure that the Savior is able to keep them saved until the end of time. That somehow they're not sure that the Lord is capable of maintaining salvation or maintaining their souls against that future day of glorification and or judgment. I know that my faith is in Christ and I am convinced that he has given to me eternal life. I know that no man, no devil, no sin, no circumstance can pluck me out of my Savior's hand. That none of these can pluck me out of my Father's hand. And I hope that you know that as well. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I'd been reading a book of sermons by B.H. Carroll, a Baptist preacher from 120 years ago down in Texas. One of the messages in that book caught me a little off guard. It was related to a theological controversy of his day, which I have not run into in our day. Maybe others have. Apparently, there were Texas Baptists declaring that unless people had absolute assurance of their salvation in Christ, they weren't saved at all. If, unless they were absolutely sure that they had been saved, they weren't saved. Carol was of the opinion that assurance is not a necessity to salvation. And I agree with him. Certainly none of us can judge the quality or the depth of another person's faith in Christ. But I have found many weak believers, simply babes spiritually, who just should have believed and should have accepted the, 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 the basics of, of uh, Christianity and they just weren't there. And yet, they trusted Christ as Savior with full repentance. I'm going to have to assume that even though they weren't confident, they were saved. The Christ in whom Paul had confidence 
is the God and Savior who could guarantee His redemption. I think we can take this verse, 2 Timothy 1.12, and use it as an evangelistic tool for those who are trusting in their works to get them to heaven. There are many who lack assurance, who cannot say what Paul said, because they were trusting in themselves rather than in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is... Uh, What's, what's a good illustration? Just a perfect foundation on which to build. It's infallible. He is infallible. So Paul's faith was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the service that he was performing for Christ. Not in his sufferings. Not in his personal sacrifices. His confidence was in God through the Lord Jesus. And that guaranteed his redemption. Related to that verse is 1 Corinthians 8.4. You might turn, please turn to 1 Corinthians 8.4. I'll take you to a few scriptures. I'll be able to stay awake for a little while. 1 Corinthians 8.4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And, I'll add, we know that there is none other God but one. And then verse 6. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. There were people in Paul's day who ate meat that was sacrificed to idols and many of them were thinking that those meals gave them favor with those idol gods. Of course, no one today eats food dedicated to idols in order to gain salvation. Except the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Orthodox and half of the Protestants. They call it the Mass or something like that. In that context, eating meat offered to idols, Paul says, we know there is but one God, the Father, and one Lord Jesus Christ. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that there should be none in ours that we worship and serve the true and living God and that we are saved only through him. There are other things we know and about which we are absolutely sure in regard to our salvation. Turn to 1 John, chapter 3. There's 1 John 3, 14, for example. 1 John 3, 14, it begins by saying, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Christians should know that the spiritual death with which they entered this world as babies is gone, having been swallowed up in the life which is in Christ Jesus. Did I give you the right verse? Okay. Christians know they have passed from spiritual death into spiritual life, heavenly life, 
the very life of Christ himself. The doubt is not the principle of passing from death into life. The doubt comes when we insert the us in there. Have we received this guaranteed salvation? So the verse goes on. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Assuming that we find our hearts drawn to God's people, assuming that we find ourselves yearning for fellowship with other believers, assuming that we love God's children as our own brethren, assuming that uh, uh, we rejoice when our brothers and sisters rejoice, and we grieve when they are hurting. Assuming these things, we can be absolutely sure that we have passed from death unto life. If the criteria is met, then everything else is guaranteed. Later in that chapter, John gives us another. We know, which again is linked to our Christian behavior. Chapter 3, verse number 24. We know that Christ Jesus abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. A New Testament Christian is not someone who simply nods in agreement to a certain number of Christian doctrines. This makes him a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been born again and who has been given the life of Christ the Savior. And to that life, the Holy Spirit gives his assent by residing in us, dwelling in us. As Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Having that testimony, we know that we are children of God. Galatians 4.6 adds, Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we know that Christ Jesus abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given to us, that abides with us. The Apostle John then says in chapter 5 and verse number 19, verse number 20, we know that we are of God, and we know that the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. We are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Christians know why the Son of God became incarnate. He came to give his life a ransom for many. And those children of God know and are sure that Christ gave his life a ransom for them. They're sure of it. Christians are people who should know that Christ dwells in them through the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 14. We know that Christ, excuse me, 3.24. We know that Christ Jesus abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. But this verse begins with the words, He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know he abideth in us. Of course, 
Keeping the commandments gets into a huge subject. But you're here this evening. I'm going to assume that you are because the Lord wants you here. You're obedient. Assembling with the saints is part of the will of the Lord. It's certainly not everything, but it's something, and we don't have time to pursue that any farther. Leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, there are a few other, a couple of other things about which we may have absolute assurance. There's the knowledge of guaranteed communication with heaven. 1 John 5, 14. I did say 14 earlier. And 15. And this is the confidence that we have in the Son of God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. We, very often, do not know what God's will is. So we pray, sharing our hopes and our desires with the Lord. And that's fine, so long as we're willing to sacrifice our desires for His glory and His will. Thy will be done. We may not know God's will, but we do know that His will will be done. We're sure of it. He's the sovereign God. And we are sure that whatever it is the Lord does will be good because he is good and holy, righteous. So armed with this knowledge, we're encouraged to pray, to plead, to beseech the omnipotent God to manifest his glory in our little lives in this relatively little world. And speaking of God's will, we have Romans 8.28 where that preacher got me going onto this theme. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then related to this, we have 2 Corinthians 5, 1. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And, of course, these things take us back to the salvation we have in Christ. We have been saved completely from stem to stern, from beginning to the non-ending end of things. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of something means that we know that it's true. I realize I'm not being very thorough this evening, but it's partially intentional. I'll conclude with just a couple of questions. From where does this assured knowledge come? It doesn't come from 
our sanctified meditations on the things of God. It doesn't come from our whimsical surmising. Does it come from human philosophy? Does it come from our eloquent pastor? No, none of these things. This knowledge about things eternal can only come from one sure source of information. It has to come from the Word of God. If it's not found in the Word of God, then we can't be sure of it. There are a great many things, especially spiritual things, which we can only know through revelation, through God's Word. We can only know them because the Bible tells us so. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And through those men, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is therefore profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction. It's profitable in the sense that we can be sure of it. The inspired Word of God is profitable in dispensing certain absolute sureties. But isn't it true there are millions of homes that have Bibles and yet the residents of those homes have no confidence in anything? They don't possess the knowledge that these apostles are trying to share with us, these biblical preachers. How is this knowledge and God's revelation grasped. How does it become a part of our confidence? Faith, one of God's great gifts, is the means by which we know our salvation. Faith is the means by which we know Christ is the Savior and our Savior. It's by faith we're sure and we know that all things work together for good. Let us praise the Lord for his saving grace. Praise the Lord for his gift of the word. Let us thank the Lord for the gift of faith. And how important it is that we can say, I know, I know know that I've trusted Christ and believe that he can keep my soul through all the afflictions of this world.